good for us to just unite our hearts together like that in prayer. And while people are returning to their seats, let me just say thank you for engaging with the 21 days of prayer. So many of you have been logging on every single day during the week to engage in the devotionals. I had so many comments from you uh, out in the lobby even this morning of people saying that uh, they have been enjoying those, that they've been helpful for you. So thank you for engaging in that. Thank you for coming out yesterday on a snowy, foggy Saturday morning. We had about 80 people here in the room. We had other people joining online and just a sweet time in the presence of God, praying and seeking his face yesterday. So thank you for being here and for being a part of that. One of the things that's been stirring in my heart uh, for our church is just that we would be a church that is rooted right in the center and heart of our community and our county, and that in that place we would be offering radical hope That whatever we see around us, whatever the situation is, whatever the circumstances, we would believe that God can take situations that are broken, that are in need of redemption, that are are needing to be fixed and made new. That whatever the circumstance, God can work in those situations and make things different and better. Amen? You guys are going to learn. I'm going to keep working with you, but we're going to get there. Uh, We believe that. And so as we've started this year, one of the things that we know that we need if we're going to be a church that offers radical hope is we've got to be people of faith, right? When we look at situations that don't look the way God wants them to look, it takes faith. It takes faith to look at a valley of dry bones and say, that's an exceedingly great army. And so if we're going to be the kind of church that does that, we need to be people of faith. And so for these first few weeks of 2021, we're just simply asking the question, what does it take for us to grow as people of faith? And we're looking at this wonderful New Testament passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11. Because the author of the book of Hebrews, he was committed to, to sharing with his audience that there are people in our past who set the example for us. They were people who lived by faith and God worked in their lives and God worked through their lives and did great and wonderful things. And we don't just look back and celebrate what he did through them. We look back and learn from them so that we can be people of faith in our day. And so we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and then we're jumping back to look at the Old Testament story that sits underneath of Hebrews 11. And so we started last week by looking at the person of Noah, and we said that Noah was a person of faith. He was a person of faith because in the middle of a godless culture where everyone was wicked and the inclinations of their heart were evil all of the time, Noah was someone who walked with God and he lived a righteous and a blameless life. And so we talked about the fact that there were kind of some lessons we could learn from Noah, that one of those was that relationship with God is really the foundation of faith. You want to be a person of faith? Cultivate your closeness with the Lord. Noah walked with God. We should do that too. And we said that faith is not just knowledge about God. It's not just belief in God. Faith is a verb. It's an action, Right? Noah is not in Hebrews chapter 11 because he walked with God, though he did that. He's in Hebrews chapter 11 because he built an ark. When God said to him, build me a big boat on dry ground, Noah was like, that does not make any sense, but I'll do it anyway because God asked me to do it. 
right? That's what faith is. Faith puts things into action. And then we said faith is costly. We don't actually know what cost Noah had to pay, but it could not have been easy. I mean, just think about it. You're out there on dry ground building a gigantic boat. I mean, it doesn't take too much thinking to, to just imagine what his friends and neighbors were saying. What is this nut job doing? Does he not realize it's on dry ground? Because faith sometimes asks us to do things that don't make sense. But because Noah had a relationship with God and he knew God was asking him, he was willing to pay the price. So you got to be willing to pay the price that faith demands because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, we honor him with our lives. We're going to look at another character today, the character of Abram or Abraham. And you got to think about both names because in Hebrews chapter 11, he's just listed as Abraham because that's the way the author of the book of Hebrews knew him. But at the beginning of his story, his name was Abram. Just took a syllable out at the beginning of the story. But then God said, I like the longer name. Because the longer name actually means a father of many nations. And God wanted to change Abram's name to Abraham. So as we go back and forth, uh, sometimes I'll say Abram, sometimes I'll say Abraham. I just want you to know I'm talking about the same person. We're not two different people, same person, just different parts in the story. Hebrews chapter 11 says this about Abraham. That's what the author of the Hebrews calls him. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I don't know if you underline things in your Bible, but that's a phrase you might want to underline. Not knowing where he was going. And by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and with Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. From these verses here, I just want to kind of point out maybe three or four characteristics that Abraham demonstrates in this story. And the first one is availability. God comes to Abraham and says to him, Abraham, I want you to leave the comfortable. Leave what you know. Leave your home, the land of your fathers, everything that's been familiar to you, the place where you kind of just know where everything's at. Leave that place and go somewhere else. And he doesn't even tell him where he's going to take him. He's just like, we're just going to take a trip, Abraham. Just leave everything you know behind. We're going to go to another place, and I'm not even going to tell you where that place is. Just go on a trip with me. And the passage says that he went. Like, there's not even a pause between it. It's not like, and then Abraham considered whether this was a good idea. Abraham got his suitcases and packed his bags and spent a few days planning the trip. Abraham looked on TripAdvisor to see restaurants along the way that he could stop and eat at. No, he just went. 
How in the world can a person hear from God, leave everything that's comfortable, everything that's certain, everything that's known, and go to a place that's unknown, and Abraham could just go immediately? How could he do that? Because he was available to God. He actually did not own his own life. He had already decided that the life that he had in his hands, he was going to hold with open hands and say, God, this life is actually the life that you are living through me. You can do whatever you want to do with my life. I'm available to you. So even though it was hard, Abraham could do it. Someone is not happy out there. Holy cow. It's hopefully not that bad of a sermon. I, I'm trying, I'll try to make it better. I'll try to make it better. When I was a kid, uh, about 12 years old, I came to faith. I grew up in church. I went to a Christian school, K through 12. Uh, but Jesus seemed like a joke to me when I was a kid. I looked at people in my church and, and they just looked grumpy. And I thought, why would anybody want to follow a God who makes you grumpy? Which, by the way, if you're grumpy, stop it. <laughs> it's a horrible testimony. I'm kind of being serious right now. It's a bad testimony. If you serve a God who defeated death, hell, and the grave, what do you have to be grumpy about? Let the joy of the Lord become your strength, right? I looked around my church, and I thought, man, these people just do not look like they are happy to be alive. So why would you want to follow that God? But then we actually changed churches. I didn't know this at the time, but my parents were going through a crisis of faith as well, and were kind of wondering, is this even really real? And so there was a youth group that there was a friend that I had that went there, and they said, hey, we play basketball on Friday nights. And I really didn't care anything about Jesus, but I loved basketball. So I said, great, let's go. So I started going on Friday nights to play basketball, and I started getting involved in this youth group. And my parents, who were going through a crisis of faith, said, well, if he likes going to church there, let's just try that church. And we went to this church, and as we started going to this church, people in that church were full of joy. They loved the Lord, and they loved each other, and they had joy in their hearts, and it was so evident. And I thought, this is different. If this is what Jesus does to a person's life, I kind of want that. And so I came to faith at this church. What I did not expect is that two months later at a youth weekend, where we got to play more basketball, by the way, that there would be a speaker who would share his testimony, and during the sharing of his testimony, God asked me if I would become a pastor. I thought that was ridiculous, and basically told God that. God, that's ridiculous. I will follow you, but I don't want to be a pastor. Who would ever want to be a pastor? That is not a good way to spend your life. That's what I thought as a 12-year-old kid with so much life experience, right? 
And so I wrestled with God. Now, here's what I want you to know. When God called me, I was not available. I basically just said, I'm just going to pretend like that conversation did not happen with the Lord. I'll ignore him, and eventually he'll forget. Except God has a great memory. And so he didn't forget. He just kept coming back to the conversation. Every time I would open my Bible, every time I would pray, God was there. Six months, I wrestled with God. Finally, one night, I sat on the edge of my bed. Literally, I, I was sitting in my room arguing with God for the 10,000th time. I mean, I just had been arguing with God over and over and over again that I did not want to do this. And I literally sat there on my bed, and this will seem weird to you, but uh, the real wrestle for me was that I wanted to spend my life coaching baseball. And so I sat there on the edge of my bed with a glove on one hand and a ball in the other, arguing with God. I can still remember the scene in that moment, and I remember God saying, this is what I want to do with your life. Will you let me do what I want to do with your life? And I remember throwing the ball into the glove and saying, yes, I won't like it, but I'll do it. And that's exactly what I said, which, by the way, we should learn to have more honest conversations with God. I think that's one of the lessons the Psalms teaches us. Just say it like it is. God already knows what you're thinking anyway. So I said, yes, I'll do it. I won't like it, but I'll do it. And I put my glove on my bed, and I, I went out, and I told my parents. And my parents said, well, you know, it's kind of funny, because for about the last six months, we have thought that God was calling you to ministry. We were just kind of waiting for you to figure that out. Then my parents said, you should talk to our pastor. So I went, and I talked to our pastor on Sunday, Pastor Tom Bunning. I waited in line, because we had a church that was growing, and there were lots of people that wanted to talk to him, and so I kind of waited as this little 13-year-old kid at this point, and finally got up to talk to him. Pastor Tom, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. And he said, you know, for about the last six months, I've just been praying about this. And I think God wants you to be a pastor. And then he said something that I will never forget. He said, in all of this journey that's out in front of you in ministry, God's going to give you gifts and abilities. Because he never calls someone without equipping them. But then he said this, the most important ability that you need to cultivate in your life is availability. He said, because this ability, the, the availability that you give to the Lord, that sits underneath all of the other abilities and gifts that you have. If you're not available to God, he can't use all that other stuff he gives you. But if you make yourself available to God, he can use every part of your life for his glory and his honor. That's a good word. Abraham teaches us that we must be available to God. Some of you in this room right now are missing out on the life that God has for you because you are holding on to control. You're wrestling with God, and, and it's okay. You can wrestle with God. 
just as long as you know you're going to lose. God wins when we wrestle with him. Wrestle with him. But at the end of the day, you got to come to this moment where you say yes. When the call came to Abraham, he said yes, and he left. And he went on a journey with God. Second characteristic, trust. Trust. It's amazing to me that God would ask Abraham not just to leave what's familiar and comfortable and known, but that he would ask him to leave that and then go on a journey to a place that God has not revealed yet. It's quite amazing when you think about it. I mean, it's one thing if you know like the journey in front of you is going to be long and it's going to be hard, and, and, but at least you know where you're going and how long it's going to take to get there, and maybe you even know what you're going to encounter along the way. That, that's hard enough to say yes in that environment, but when, when you look into the future and it's just like, I don't know where the path is. I don't even know where the end is. How will I know when we get there? I guess God will tell me. It's pretty crazy. And yet, Abraham is so available to God, he's able to go quickly. How is that possible? Because Abraham has this deep trust in his God that God's not going to fail him. He doesn't really know that God's not going to fail him because he only can look back in his past and say, God's never failed me yet, but, but he could fail me in the future. I mean, we don't know. We can only look back. And, and base our experience, you know, look at our experience and say, well, God's never failed me up to this point, but is he going to come through this time? And the longer we walk with God and the more we see God come through, the more we have faith. This seems harder than the last one, but he's never failed me yet. I guess I'll keep going. Right? That's kind of how it works in the life of faith. And Abraham has this deep trust in God, and he's going to this destination unknown. Now, you know this because when you need to go somewhere, you just take out your device and you talk to the person in your phone. I would say her name, but then she'll respond because she's a close personal friend of mine. Um, <laughs> Or we type in an address on the built-in navigation in our car, right? But here's the thing. In order to take advantage of the navigation, you got to know where you're going, right? And yet, in Abraham's life, he doesn't know where he's going. This fascinates me. When I think about Abraham, what I realize is that he's so quick to obey because the relationship with God is strong, See, when your relationship is strong, trust is high. And when trust is high, obedience is quick. When we find ourselves wrestling with God, it's often because maybe our relationship with him is not quite as strong as we want it to be. And so the trust factor maybe is wavering, and that delays our obedience. But here's the reality. We've got to cultivate our relationship with God so that we can elevate our trust to know that this God is good, that he's loving, that he'll take care of us, and then we can be quick to obey. Right? Because when God asks us to do stuff, there are all kinds of questions that come to our mind. Does this make sense? Is this going to work? What is this going to cost me? 
people going to think I'm an idiot? Right? I mean, maybe that's just me, but I have questions like that in my mind when God asks me to do something that doesn't seem to quite make sense or that I know is going to be hard or challenging or difficult, but none of those questions are really the important ones. The most important question is, is God leading me to do this? And if he is, it actually doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter if it's going to cost you something. If God's leading you to do it, you do it. Because he's a good God, and he's faithful, and he never fails. Abraham teaches us that. Another characteristic that we see, we've already talked about this, and we're not going to spend very much time at all in it, but it's obedience. Abraham obeys God. God calls him, leave the land of your father. Leave everything that you know, everything that's comfortable, everything that's normal in your life, and go somewhere else. And Abraham went as the Lord commanded him to go. This is what makes Abraham a person of faith. Just like we said, Noah is in Hebrews 11 because he built an ark. Abraham is in Hebrews chapter 11 because when God called him, he responded in obedience. He did what God asked him to do. May it be said of us in our day, those people did what God asked them to do. Because that's what our world needs. They don't need us to go out and do what we want to do. They need us to go out and do what God wants us to do. That's what will impact our world. That's what God is calling us to. This is why James says it so clearly. Faith without works is dead. In other words, faith without action is not faith. It's something else. But when you take your faith and you hear God's voice and you do what God's asking you to do, that is real faith and it's alive and it's vibrant and it changes the world. Jesus talked about this in John 10. He said, I'm the good shepherd. And my sheep, they know my voice. I speak to them, and they hear me, and they follow me. Hearing the voice of God and obeying God, following him, that is exactly what it means to be a person of faith. We know his voice. We can discern it. And then we can do what he's asking us to do. Last characteristic. Patience. This one maybe is one that you didn't see in this passage. It took me a long time to see it too. It's fascinating to me in Hebrews 11 and in Genesis chapter 12 that God takes Abram from the land of his fathers and did you catch where he took him? He took him to the promised land. right into the heart of the land controlled by the Canaanites, took him, put him right there and got him in that place, right? This is the destination. Destination unknown when the journey started, but now we're here and God says to Abram, this looks like a good spot. And he says, this land right here, Abram, this is your land. 
It's going to belong to you, and it's going to belong to your descendants. This is the promised land. And why is it called the promised land? Because in this moment, in Genesis 12, God promised it. This is the promised land. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. God says, Abram, this is your land, but you can't have it yet. This land, it belongs to you, but you can't have it yet. In fact, Abram, God doesn't actually tell him this. But in reality, your son doesn't get it either. And his son doesn't get it either. Nor does the next generation, or the next one, or the next one. Got to fast forward all the way past Joseph saving God's people in Egypt and a Pharaoh transition and Joseph dying and God's people being enslaved for a long, long time and then God delivering them, sending them out into the wilderness and we're still not there, 40 more years And eventually Joshua will take over leading the people and they'll go into the land and possess it for their own. Abram, this is your land. You just can't have it. So he lived in the land like a foreigner. Land that was promised by God, but land that he couldn't possess for himself. He had to actually display patience. And not like the kind of patience I pray for. I pray that God will give me patience when I got to wait in the Panda Express drive through line longer than I want to. <laughs> not that kind of patience. Not the kind of patience I used to pray for as a kid when we had dial-up internet. <laughs> it's fascinating to me in our home when... The game is lagging. That's what my kids say. The game is lagging. And when I ask what that means, it's that we're like a second behind where it should be. And then I I go into the old man mode and say, let me tell you about dial-up internet. (laughs) Not that kind of patience. No, Abraham has to display a different kind of patience. One that says, God has promised me something that won't be accomplished in my day. God's given me a project that actually will take generations to complete. That kind of patience. What if if seeing the kingdom of God come in Marion and Grant County took 100 years? Would you still give yourself to it? What if it seemed like by the time you were laid to rest that not very much progress had been made? What if it looked like no progress had been made at all? Would you still give yourself in the days that you have left to the project of seeing the kingdom of God come here? Because God took Abram out to the promised land and said, this is your land, Abram, but you can't have it. And in fact, it's going to be a long, long time before any of your descendants ever set foot on this land again and possess it for their own. Do you have that kind of patience? 
Now, I want to be clear. God will work through our lives, and he will do things in us and through us and among us, and we will celebrate those things. But maybe, just maybe, God is birthing dreams inside of us as a church that will take longer than our lifetimes to complete. And would we be willing to give ourselves to those kind of dreams? Even if it didn't seem like we were making much progress. Even if it didn't seem like we were moving towards the goal. Would we still give ourselves to that? See, when you have faith, you have that kind of patience. Abraham had that kind of patience. The writer of, the, of Hebrews 11 says, because he was looking forward to a city. He had an eternal perspective. He said, yeah, I mean, we want stuff to happen in our day and in our time, but I'm not living for here. I'm living for there. So I'll give myself faithfully to the work of the Lord because I know that God's got a bigger plan that outstretches my lifetime. And I'm just a little, little, tiny sliver in that plan. Here in the United States of America in the 21st century, we like to think that we're all that. And this helps us remember that we're not that much. We're just a little vapor. Got to be faithful in that vapor that we have of a lifetime. But let's not think that, that what happens in our lifetime is the only thing God's doing. God's doing something bigger than that. He's making all things new, and that takes a long, long time. So let's be faithful, but let's be patient. This reminds me of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, don't let anything move you. Stand firm and remember that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Don't let anything move you. Stand firm. Be faithful. Be patient. God will use what you are doing to build his work and accomplish his plans. Maybe you're like me. When you think about these characteristics, you think, how in the world can any one person live out all of these characteristics? How can you be available to God all the time? How can you really trust him moment by moment, day by day, week by week? How can you do that? How can you obey quickly? And how can you have that kind of patience in your life? I've been asking that question, and it's occurred to me that there's probably one more characteristic that sits underneath of all of them. And it's just this idea of surrender. There's just this reality that Abraham, Abraham doesn't see his life as belonging to him. He's actually given it to God. He's just basically said, it's not mine anymore. It's been bought with a price. It belongs to the Lord. The Lord's in control. It, in other words, Abraham's saying, I belong to the Lord. 
He can do whatever he wants. I'm surrendered to him. And it's not just surrender as in, this is a powerful God and I'm just a lowly human being. I guess I should give up. No, this is surrender motivated by love. Abraham loves God. And so he gives his life to God. Which just leads me to ask you this question today. Do you belong to the Lord? Have you come to a moment in your life where you just love God so much that you're just going to stop holding on to control and you just give it to the Lord? You just surrender? I think this is what God's asking of us today, to just surrender to him. The man's going to lead us in a song here, and it's a song of surrender. And I just want to let you know, if there's anything in your life that you're holding back, could be a really, really big thing, could be a small thing, could be a baseball glove in one hand and a ball in the other. And you just got to lay it down on the bed. Even if you got to say, yes, I won't like it, but I'll do it. Could you just give your life to God fully? Say, God, I want to see you do something great in me and through me. So as we sing this song, I just want you to search your heart and your soul. Even better, let the Holy Spirit search your heart and your soul. Whether you're here in this room or whether you're at home, let the Holy Spirit search your heart and your soul. And if there's anything you need to give to God, give it to him as we sing together.